you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to today's episode. Today, I am chatting to the amazing Tina Tower. Tina is an award-winning serial entrepreneur. Uh, She has founded, she's grown, and she's sold several businesses and franchises over the years. She actually was the youngest franchisee owner uh, in Australia um, at the age of 27. And now she helps hundreds of people package their expertise into an online course and launch it to the world. Through her program, her Empire Builder, she's on a mission to help 100 women build a million dollars a year business business by 2025. And as you'll hear in this episode, the reason she's on a mission to do that is because the impact that those 100 million, 100 women can have building those million dollar businesses on the community, uh, on the planet, on the world at large. He's also the author of the brand new book, Million Dollar Micro Business, How to Turn Your Expertise into a Digital Online Course. We had an awesome chat uh, talking about her life at the beginning and talking about why she's so passionate about the work that she does now. And some of the critical things that we talked about was the importance of owning your spotlight, why we need to drop the facade and start being who we are, the importance of owning your expertise, identifying what it is that you're known for and being brave enough to share that with the world. Um, We talked about how you need to think of everything, look at everything as um, a curious experiment, like thinking about whether something's working, not working, I'm testing it, I wonder if this is going to be a success, a failure, adopting that curious experiment mentality to the work that we do, which I think right here, right now, in this very complex and uncertain world that we're living in is something that we can all uh, learn. And the final piece that I love about how Tina now runs her business and how she teaches others to run their business is around this concept of keeping it simple, keeping it easy, and keeping it as friction-free as possible. Please sit down and get ready to enjoy my latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance with the amazing Tina Tower. Yay! Hi, Tina. So awesome to have you on the show. Finally, how are you today? Oh, so good. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to get into your story and most importantly, share from your area of expertise how you help other people unleash brilliance through your own experience. So can't wait to share that. But before we do, I'd love to give the listeners a little sort of quick fire insight into who you are. So first question, where are you from originally? Oh, where am I from? Um, I'm from South Sydney. South Sydney. So you're a New South Wales girl through and through. Yeah. You don't live there now, do you? You live up the coast a bit, thankfully. so not too far away. I mean, we've moved around a lot. Um, We've we've kind of moved interstate and different parts and then travelled and done a whole lot of things. And now we've ended up 
kind of on the coast of New South Wales, which is beautiful. Ah, such a gorgeous part of the world. Although today, the day that we're recording, there's a lot of storms and horrible rain going around. Um, What was your first job? Oh, my first job was um, I was a dishwasher (laughs) at the the Italian eatery was my first job. I had a lot of jobs. My favorite teenage job was pizza delivery as soon as I got my license was that was back in the day where cash was a thing and I made so much in tips because people were like, pizza man's here and then they'd open the door and go, it's the pizza lady. I'd be like, hi. And then, you know, they'd pay you and you just go, thank you. And then, oh, keep the change. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I know it's a shame we don't do that anymore. I've been trying to, I don't have cash on me, although I've been trying so that particularly with all the Uber Eats that we're getting in the house at the moment, we can actually reward those those lovely delivery people. Um, Are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Coffee. I've tried tea so bad, but I just can't. You're not a fan. Not a fan. And the favorite coffee? Small cappuccino with an extra shot. Small cappuccino with an extra shot. Love it. So you like them strong. (laughs) I like it strong. Just a dash of milk is like perfect. I can't do the long black, but just the dash of milk is just perfection. I love it. Now you're you're massively into personal development, constantly learning. You talk about this a lot in your work about investing in yourself. Um, And I I guess this is, you know, when you've you've absorbed so much information through TED Talks, podcasts, sitting in front of people, et cetera, is there one thing, one podcast, one book, one moment that uh, really changed things for you? I think different ones at different times. Like my... my first kind of thing that got me into personal development was like a really old book. This will show how old. Um, was Oak Mandino's The Magic of Thinking Big, um, like really old, like classic personal development, like pre-Tony Robbins stuff. Um, I loved Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek, and his podcast. My favourite podcast is Brooke Castillo's Life Coach School. Love right. that. Um, but different things at different times. I mean, there's like I can almost pinpoint the different pivotal moments in my life and the book that I read at that time where I was trying to like discover the next sprint or the next thing that I was going through. So, yeah, I, I am. You are totally right. I am a junkie for personal development. <laughs> and if you could see what I can see behind the words in the podcast, there's an incredibly color-coded uh, bookshelf. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that. Make sure you check out Tina on Instagram because you're bound to see it. All right. Um, so you grew up in South Sydney. Um, how, how did your childhood or that community in which you grew up shape, uh, the person that you are, Tina? Um, Massively. So I, like my backstory, my childhood was a bit rough, um, which, you know, a lot of people don't, don't realize <laughs> um, when you get older, cause you know, everyone's got their history and a lot of people like me go, yeah, we won't talk about that. Hey. Um, but I left home when I was 13. And so I built a lot of resilience and for me, that's how I found personal development. So when I was about 15 was when I first saw Anthony Robbins, 
advertised and kind of got into that. I went to my first Robert Kiyosaki seminar when I was 16. And to me, the whole notion that I know sounds so corny now that we're older, but the whole, if you can dream it, you can achieve it and that you could actually craft any life that you wanted to. I was sold hook, line and sinker. <laughs> like I was, so in that time, I really clung to it um, and really worked at going, all right, I'm going to create something different for me. But as hard as different parts of my childhood were, I have no doubt. I mean, I was the youngest female in Australia to ever start a franchise system. And so I was 27 when I became a franchisor and that it was hard. It was really hard work. And I have no doubt that I wouldn't have had the gumption or the thick skin to do it had I not had the past that I had that made me believe that, you know what, a lot of people when they're going into business have that fear of failure or judgment or whatever it is that holds them back where I I was like, you know what, I can fail. I can be broke. I can have mud on my face. I'll be fine. (laughs) I have this innate belief that I can overcome anything. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was really helpful. So just just going back to 13, 15, taking yourself off to personal development. I'm imagining that that your friends weren't necessarily doing that. What what made you do that? Can you remember what drew you to that world? And and I I guess also having, because a lot of people go, I'll do it, but then actually physically doing it, actually having that intention at 13, 15, to go and do that stuff. Where do you reckon that came from? Um, well, I mean, it did come from my parents. So for all of their faults, they were in Amway when I was wow. like 11 and 12. So there was a lot of personal development around the house. And as much as I have very mixed feelings about the Amway system itself, their personal development material is actually phenomenal. And so there was like the tapes around and the like regurgitation of the different things and the slogans on the back of the toilet doors. And I mean, unfortunately, my parents didn't really adopt any of those good beliefs. (laughs) They were just trying to. Um, But yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started. And I think I was the one that really absorbed it all. Yeah. So when you were 13 and you left home, did you say 13? Yeah. Where where did you go? What did you do? Um, I went and slept in the back of the fruit shop for a couple of nights um, on the boxes there and then went to school and spoke to my best friend who took me home and stayed there for a few weeks. And then my parents had divorced when I was one. So I didn't have a very close relationship with my dad, but she was saying, you know, you you don't live here now, Tina. (laughs) So you have to go somewhere. Um, So took me to his place and I stayed there for nine months. Um, But he had remarried and they had a two-year-old and a six-month-old at the time that I went there, and I was just very much in the way. So after nine months, it was like, okay, you're going to have to go. So he dropped me back at the top of the driveway to my mum's house one day and just went, good luck. And so I had to walk back in and kind of just bide my time until I could leave. So from an early age, it sounds like you were very independent. And as you touched on there, uh, one of the Australia's youngest 
entrepreneurs in that franchise world. Did you did you work before that or did you start out? Did you sort of fall into becoming this accidental entrepreneur businesswoman? Did you have a proper job, she says, between the... Yeah, no, I've never <laughs> had a full-time job. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what you mean. So I had um, like casual jobs as soon as you were legally allowed to. Um, yeah. And for me, like earning money was just incredible for me like getting that paycheck and just having that as my own it was so motivating and so I had like through year 12 when I did four unit English which for for people all over the world that are going what is that the higher the units the less face time there so part of that was to write a novella and you got a lot of exemption from classwork to be able to do that so I actually only did four subjects in my HSC and I was only at school about I think it was like 15 or 16 hours it wasn't much and so it enabled me all of my friends were all at home studying up and doing that and I had three jobs and so I would deliver pizzas and work at the football games and at the (laughs) eatery and all the different things so that I could get enough money to I bought my first unit when I was 18 Um, and then I went to uni and started paying my way through there and so I moved out when I was 18 and then um, wanted to pay my way through uni and was having a really hard time with all of the different jobs and then I saw one day I was studying uh, teaching, primary teaching, um, and I saw on a telegraph pole someone advertising tutoring for $40 an hour and I was like, $40 an hour you can get? sign me up for this. And so obviously I'd already been reading a lot of personal development stuff and was like, you know what, I can do this business thing, I'm sure. And so I started looking around at different locations and as became the pattern in my life, it escalated and the space I rented was too big just for tutoring. And so I did tutoring and an educational toy store and a birthday party place on the weekends. And so I started that when I was 20 and then ran that for four years until I had my first son at 24. And that was great for the first six months. But then when he started moving, I was like, oh no, this, Mm. I can't work seven days a week anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. I read that that story in um, in your book, Million Dollar Micro Business. And as I was reading it, what was what was fascinating is, you know, you telling that story is one that I'd never heard before from yourself, and yet it actually, to me, epitomizes why you do what you do. Yeah. Um, just thinking about that period of time. Um, and those, you know, initial years in that business, and you said you you had your first son uh, whilst you were running that business. What was like the biggest high of running your own show? And then the reverse. What was the lowest low in that first business? Yeah. Well, yeah. any business. Those entrepreneurial years before you. Oh, before so you much. I mean, I've been going now for seventeen years. I've sold four businesses, started six of them. (laughs) So there's so many, but I think, um, I think the opening of the first franchise will always stick in my mind to go a stranger trusted me enough to invest in my idea. And then walking down the street and looking up and seeing all the building and the signage and everything there that like I'd created on my computer and just going, oh my God, 
I made that. And all of the kids coming in and out with all our library bags on their shoulders and all laughing and smiling. And it was just me. Like I actually sat in the coffee shop after the open day for about two hours, just sitting there watching people coming in and out, just going, this is cool. Um, So that was probably one of my, like one of the moments that sticks in my mind. Um, the most. And then like, even, I don't, I don't think you ever forget your first either. Like I still remember the first sale I made in the toy store. I opened at 8am and I didn't make the first sale until 10.40. And it was like agonizing. I was sitting there going, oh my God, what's going on? And I was literally, this was before the internet even. So I was out on the street with helium balloons, like handing them out, trying to entice children and families into the store and trying to do that. You will. Yes, (laughs) like, please buy something, please. Um, So that was a good one. The low point was, um, the low points for me were probably when I closed my toy store um, and I felt really defeated, like I'd failed and had to let that dream go. Um, And then when I did franchising and I got sued by a franchisee, which is very common, um, but what a kick in the guts that Mm. that was. Um, So, yeah, they're probably my biggest low points and high points. So you've had like at at your peak in terms of running that franchise or that business versus what you're doing now, how many staff, like how big was it? Um, Across Beginbright we had 120 staff, um, seven in at head office. Um, Yeah, it was was hard. It was hard work. It was hard work. It's why I fell in love with online courses so much is you go in franchising, like you work for the dollar, like every – dollar is earned. I mean, with all service-based business, really, and even with the tutoring, you know, we would we would do it for $80 an hour. You couldn't charge any more than that. We'd pay our teachers $45 an hour, but we'd have to take tax out, rent out, everything. Like you had to do a lot of volume to make decent money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, as soon as I got into online, I was like, what? How did I not know this existed earlier? <laughs> and that's, that's, that's just beautiful segue into what it is that you're doing now um but it didn't happen accidentally was that was that what was the watershed moment you talk about it in your book and I'd love to hear it from you that watershed moment where you literally were questioning where you'd what you'd built and you were also questioning what's next and the decision that you made actually it has got so much bravery around it to have made the decision that you made, which has led to what you're doing now. Can you talk through that that process that you went through? Because I reckon there's a, well, I know from the experience and people that I'm talking to right now, there are a lot of people right now that are at that point where they're questioning, yeah. what does the next season look like? What, what could I do differently? Yeah. And it's wonderful to hear from, uh, from yourself where you'd worked so hard to build and achieve and then essentially you changed it all. Yeah, completely. And so I sold Big and Bright in 2016 um, and I sold on an earnout. So I stayed until 2018. Um, and then the day that I kind of like handed everything over. They they took my computer, my phone. So I had no email address, no phone number that I'd been running that business for 13 years. So a long time. And I remember waking up the next day and just going, huh, 
what I do now. <laughs> like, like, what do I do? Um, and I was 33 when I sold it. So too young to kind of pack it up for a while. I thought I might take a few years off and just, you know, see what happens. But I took a month off and started like four different businesses, five different businesses. I mean, my most ridiculous one was I bought the film rights to a book series and thought I'd go to Hollywood and make like a Hollywood movie. I, I don't know movie. what I was thinking with that one. <laughs> I still think it would be fabulous, <laughs> but, but, you know, unsurprisingly that didn't pan out. So I tried all these different things. And then I really was at that, that point where, you know, the last two years of the business were very tough and I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't a good mum. I was really burnt out. I had adrenal fatigue. I gained a heap of weight. I was drinking too much alcohol. Like I was just in a really funky place. And I went, you know what, it's not the right time to start something new out of desperation of, in a way I felt like I had to keep relevant. Like I couldn't just get out of there and disappear because what would, who am I without that? Like I, my whole self-worth was derived from achievement. The way that I, kind of proved to myself that I was worth anything was business achievement. So in the absence of it, it's like, who even am I? Like, you know, it's big stuff, very heavy. (laughs) And so we decided to just leave life for a bit. So we sold our house and our cars and our furniture and packed up and traveled around the world for a year. So we went to 28 different countries and it was the best year of my life, especially in pandemic season now where we're going, oh my gosh, how lucky were we to do that? Um, But how I kind of tripped and fell into online courses, because it was never really a plan of of mine was I was business coaching uh, some people. So uh, there was some women that wanted to, they had service-based businesses and they wanted help in building them to sell and exit like I did. So they were kind of getting coached on how to do that. And each of the calls, and I'd batch them all on the one day and I'd keep doing it and going, oh my God, I literally just said this exact same thing in the call before, but people were paying like top dollar for coaching and I'm repeating the same thing over and over again. And so I put the repeatable stuff into an online course and then we could use our one-on-one time to really just be specific for them. And so then I started doing that and then they were going, oh, I kind of like how you've got this, this online thing going. Can you show me how I can put that into my business? So I started teaching them how to do the online courses. And then I was like, you know what? I might try and open this up to the public too. So when we got to Thailand, I thought I'll do this whole like launch thing that I am reading about in kind of the online course space and give it a shot and see what happens. So I did like my open cart, week launch, closed the doors and we made $11,000. And I know $11,000 isn't a lot, but to me, it was a revelation. And I was going, get out of town. Like I just ran a webinar and did some live video and made $11,000. And now the product I have made is already made. I don't have to do anything. Like what? What world is this? (laughs) And so that kind of, for me, was the moment where I was like, a lot of people have to get on this because there's so many people with so much expertise and knowledge and we're in this interconnected world. And I just saw nothing but opportunity and went, this is going to be a million dollar business. And so, you know, along my theme of escalation, I kind of got obsessed. And so that's what you do now, right? This is yeah. kind of the turning point. So what I love about what you've shared is, you know, that resilience of 
being a teenager essentially and going, I'm going to take control of my own life, even through school and the study. And then the, the multiple businesses that you had going, that hunger that you had of, oh my God, yeah. this is working. I'm making money and getting paid my worth. Then building this entrepreneurial uh, franchise business to scale then going, okay, I'm selling this, but I'm going to keep going and find something. Like there's such a golden thread running through it of resilience, determination, seeing opportunity, wanting to scale stuff. And that and that's essentially what you're doing now, but helping other people do it. Tell it, yeah. tell us more about that. Yeah. So I did become pretty obsessed with it in terms of like, that was only oh, nearly coming on three years now since that first course launch. So it's not really that long, but it took me 19 months to hit a million dollars, which for me was just like, like I was running our franchise for seven years before I hit a million dollars. Like it was mm. the escalation of it was mind blowing to me. And so Oh, I am crazy passionate about helping other people be able to get on it because I see the unfortunate thing about online programs is I reckon 70 to 80% of it is down to the marketing. It's it's an online digital marketing game more than anything else. And what I see is so many people that have all the knowledge, all the expertise, are so smart, want to serve people, but can't market themselves, don't want to embrace that personal brand, can't, you know, so many people have hangups around, well, who am I to put myself out and tell people what to do? Or gosh, I don't want people to think I'm a wanker. (laughs) Or, you know, there's so many different things that they go through. And then on the flip side, I see people that have nowhere near enough expertise and are brilliant marketers and have all this conviction and kind of step in and nail it. And so I'm like, I want to get the smart people and I want to help them be able to grow so that they can reach that because online education, I mean, I've always been in education of some sort and I just, I just love it. I mean, I take a lot of courses I teach a lot of courses. Um, and my main thing is now masterminds. So instead of doing a lot of high volume, low cost products, I go high touch points. And that's just my sweet spot because I like to know people as well. I found it really, and this is the ironic thing when people launch courses, I found it really weird to launch courses and not know who that person was, what they were doing, how they went with it, like just to be completely removed. Um, And we do have evergreen courses that we sell kind of every day with that. And I'm still weirded out by it. I'm like, okay, so there's $1,500 that just came, but who are you? And I want to like reach out and be like, why did you buy that? What are you doing? Tell me all about yourself, (laughs) which is not scalable. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why I chose like more high ticket. So you're on a mission now. What is, what is your current mission? Yeah, so I am powering towards 100 women by 2025 doing a million dollars a year in their online businesses. Because for me, I know, you know, and no offense to the men, but there's a lot of bro marketing out in our like online world. And, you know, a lot of people that are trying to go for, 
you know, private jets and fast cars and all of that sort of thing. And what I find when women become wealthy, they change the world. They spend it locally. They hire other women. They're very philanthropic. They do a lot of good. And so I'm like, well, if I can get $100 million added into the economy, that's going to have an amazing trickle effect. It's going to allow women to step into their empowerment. They're going to then empower other women because there's so much, contrary to popular belief of what people say, my only experience has been women pulling each other up. I have never seen anything but I don't know where the stereotype comes from, but I have been so helped through my business journey by women so above me that have just pulled me up by my bootstraps and, you know, can do the same and see other women that always take, like even take you, for example, you know, when my book came out, you know, you emailed me and went, Hey, have you, do you need any help? And I'm like, well, this is my first time. So yeah, sure. And you just outpoured everything. Okay. Be aware of this, do this, do this. And I'm like, thanks, Janine. Like, <laughs> you know, but that's what women do. Yeah. They help each other. They know that there's plenty of room for everybody. You know, we're, we're not in this finite world. And so, yeah, I really want to help get that going because I think that that will really make a big impact across the world. Uh, I couldn't agree more, Tina. I'm, as my passion piece is, is, helping women run successful and profitable businesses Um, like your driver I'm I'm actually fed up with uh, the amount of women that are running businesses and yet they're scraping the barrel every single month for cash Um, and we're so busy focused on that top line that Mm -hmm. actually we've got to shift that focus because like you've said if women are running successful businesses whatever that means um, they're able to look after their families, they're able to employ people, they're able to impact their community, society, whatever it is. And the evidence shows that women hit a certain point in uh, revenue, turnover, profit, whatever it is, and then they go, right, I've got enough now, thank you very much. Who, what can I do with the rest of it? And that's where we make the change. And you know what, I think that it is because a lot of the examples that we see from, from the women that I work with, a lot of them get to that 250000 500000 a year of personal income and go, that's, that's plenty, like I'm out, mm. because they think, well, if I want five times the money, I've got to work five times harder because they see people like Gary Vee who are all about the hustling and the grinding and all the examples that, that we have of these people working themselves to the bone and women look at that and go, actually, you can keep that life. Thank you very much. And so I'm trying to go, you know, you can actually have everything. You can have a great marriage. You can have good relationships with your kids. You can have a business that serves you as well. I mean, one of the biggest things for me was I went to a business women's conference about three or four years ago now, and it was filled with women that had turnovers over 5 million a year. So it was in my last year of the Gimbright um, and going there. And I think every woman but one that I spoke to was divorced because they're going, you know what, you just can't get to this level of the game and maintain relationships. And I was like, shit, why? Why? How are we, how are we accepting that that's okay? And so I think we need a whole lot more women that uh, are being able to maintain that and also going, you know what, I can be super masculine in my business. I can have really masculine energy. I can win. I can go for it. And then I can switch straight on into the feminine in my relationship. Like we can have that yin and yang and do both. It doesn't have to yeah. be an either or. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And that's why I love the distinction that you've made 
in your latest book. Congratulations. I've read it, made notes on it. I've got so many, if you could see this listeners, I've got so many dog-eared pages. But that that distinction that you make around million-dollar micro-business, how to turn your expertise into a digital online course, can you just expand on what, from your perspective, micro-business means? Because I think there's, for me, I was genius in that and it absolutely supports what you just said. Yeah, because so traditionally you've got micro business, small business, medium business, big business, all judged on revenue and team size. And that was totally the way before the internet is what it is now. I mean, I think even 10 years ago, you had a lot of bodies to be able to do high revenue because we didn't have the automation and the software and the tech that we have available now. Um, But you can run a million dollar micro business with one person. Like you can get there totally fine. <laughs> so you can do the revenues of medium-sized businesses while operating as a micro-business, which is just amazing. And I think a lot of people don't realize how easy it is now to get into it, which is why I wanted to write Million Dollar Micro-Business was like even when I started, the tech developments just in the last three years are phenomenal. I mean, I've got one of my clients is, well, she's 72 no tech experience whatsoever. She's there building Kajabi sites, going live on Instagram. I'm like, whoop, whoop. <laughs> and like if she can work out how to do that, like there's just, there's no limitation to being able to do that. Because a lot of people, like their tech experience is looking at the back end of a WordPress site and going, oh, I'm not going near that thing, which I wouldn't either. But now like with Canva and things like Kajabi, there's just so much software that makes it so simple and easy that you can have you, another person and do multi-millions in there. And one of the success stories that I have in there is James Wedmore. He just did a launch that did $9 million in four days, three days, three or four days um, with a team of seven. Hmm. Like that's unheard of 10 years ago. You just couldn't do it. Yeah. So that's so your wish, your wish for this book is, is what? Um, worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite all-time books is Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. And that really, I mean, it's what it would it be now? Like 15 years old, pretty much, I think. And I read it every year in January. I read that book and I love it still. Um, And just the notion behind that new way of thinking and doing things a bit easier and simpler. And I I mean, I would love for it to be long-term and doing that. Yeah, I have high hopes. (laughs) Just small goals, Janine, small goals. (laughs) I wouldn't have expected anything less of you, Tina. Um, So anyone that's listening right now, the, I mean, you and I work in this world, so it's it's like our language. But anyone listening that's going, what is she talking about with an online micro business? Could you like explain it to people that are listening that are going, I don't believe these numbers. What are they talking about? You've yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and look, I will preface it with going like multi-millions is the exception to the rule. Um, so it does take work to get there. Don't let anybody tell you it's going to be easy. <laughs> it, is a, it is a lot of work, but it's leveraged. So if, especially if you're a business person who's used to putting in the work into the business, you will fly because for the same amount of effort, you get 10 times the result. Um, so what it is, is essentially being able to get the expertise that you've got and package it into a really simple 
process. Um, so I always encourage people to start with like a really easy six to an eight week course with what you're best known for, um, put a price on it, upload it onto a website, record the lessons, make some nice downloads to go with it and then sell it. So it's not very complex. Like one of them, my favorite course that I did recently was I've gone, especially with the pandemic, all nuts into organic gardening. I'm growing our own food, um, but I couldn't figure out my broccoli kept flowering and I'm like, what is happening here? And I couldn't work it out what was happening on the tomato. So I bought a course for how to create my organic veggie garden. And that was eight weeks long. I paid $2.97 and it shows me step-by-step when to harvest things, how to reseed, how to do all of that. And I'm like, okay, now I know. So it's really like the, the expanse of different courses, you can really package anything, but the clencher is, like I said, at the beginning, you've got to be willing to market it. Mm. It's not That's a build it and they will come. Yeah. yeah. So anyone, can anyone build an online micro business? No. Do you reckon? No. <laughs> What's, what's the difference? What what have you noticed and seen through the last, particularly over the last three years, but in your experience as well and the, the huge amount of clients that you've worked with, what have you seen that makes the difference? Um, and I guess what I'm doing is bringing this back to that unleashing brilliance. What what yeah. have you noticed that, that helps people, that enables people to go, oh, my God, this is working. What's the difference? Yeah, exactly that. You've got to be able to unleash your brilliance is a big yeah. one, is going, yeah. um, I know you've done a lot lot of work with thought leadership and, you know, expertise within the industry. And you do have to be able to step forward and go, you know what, I have a lot of valuable expertise and it's worth it and show up and serve your customers. If you're wanting to hide behind a computer screen, it's just not going to work. And I see a lot of people go, I'm going to do it under a brand. It's not going to be me. Human Humans buy from humans, especially on the internet. Um, so the internet is a very noisy place. Like look at how many advertisements we get hit with every day. Um, you need to be able to be unique and how you're unique is to be you. And a lot of people have spent their whole lives trying to be what they think they should be. And the people that do really well drop the facade and just embrace who they are. And that has been one of my most fun things. I mean, when I was franchising, because I was young um, and female and at every franchise conference it was just a sea of like 60-year-old dudes and I even like went to Portman's and bought suits and stuff because I thought like I had to be like a professional franchisor and I don't wear makeup. I don't get my hair blow-dried. I wear rainbow clothes and then I did that at the beginning of this business but then I went, you know what, I've just got to come as I am and then if people like me, they'll like me. If they don't, that's fine. There's plenty of other people out there. And that became so easy then. But still a lot of people are reluctant to just show up as themselves because then I think the criticism is a little bit more personal too. Yeah. So you, you've mentioned two, two awesome things there. First is almost go short and quick and get started. The second piece there about stepping into who you are, don't drop the facade, which is hard, right? Because like you said, for so many years, all of us have, for whatever reason, been pretending to be something that we're not. It's going to be interesting to see how people come out of this pandemic. I I will not be wearing high shoes anymore, that's for sure. There'll be some social anxiety going on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, do I need to brush my hair? Where's my light? I reckon we're going to have to have portable lights that we put on our shoulders. Um, what else? Anyone listening now? I mean, your book is jammed with, yes, case studies, 
uh, evidence for this. But, you know, what I love about how you've written this book is, is you could literally read it and follow it. Like you have been so um amazing in terms of how much you have shared out of your own head your own experience right down to the tools to use um so i'm not expecting you to sort of give all that away because it's in the book but if you could give three tips to people thinking about this because it is an awesome way to unleash your brilliance if you have got something that you know you can gift other people and help other people to be better the online world is allowing that. So yeah. if you if you had people listening right now that are going, oh, my God, I could do this, what tips would you give yeah. them? Yeah. First of all, thank you. Because <laughs> that was my that was my intention was to I hate it when obviously I read a lot of business books and I hate it when there's like one concept and it's just repeated throughout and you're like, hang on, I just read all of this and I learned what it what what it what did I even learn from that? Yeah. I really wanted it to be super tangible that people could get through, but then also not super dry. Um, so yeah, it does, it does literally, I've had people, the book's been out two months now and I've had people emailing me already going, they used exactly what it was and they've launched a course. So it's good. It works, uh, which is nice. But what I would do is start off with going, keep it simple and easy. So sometimes people go, well, I dream of doing this. And so they'll come up with something cockamamie or they'll make a list of 50 gazillion things. And usually when I talk to people and they're like, I've been thinking of starting an online course for the last two years and I haven't got it started. And usually that's because in their mind, they've made it this massive thing and it's very overwhelming. So it's just get started, like make it, it's actually super simple. Just get the thing that you're known for the best that you can talk about all day long because you have to, you have to love it. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes people will go for the thing that they know or the thing that they think they'll make money from, but they hate it. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> People will be able to tell straight away. So you've got to be able to love it. People have got to be looking for it. People have got to be known. You've got to be known for it already. And then it takes off really easily. So then it's going, I always like to say, start with a live taught one. So you don't have to pre-record everything because that's expensive and time consuming. So you can run a launch, you can sell something, and then you can just run it live every week for that six weeks. And that way you'll get instant feedback. Because what I see a lot of people do is they spend thousands of dollars recording this course people go through it and then they're like, oh, hey, can you tell me more about this bit or this bit? And then people, they're going, oh no, I've got to record the whole thing again. So doing it live for the first round or two allows you to get that instant feedback so that when you do record it properly, it's like perfection. And then it will be way easier. The other thing I would do is put effort into building a list before you mm -hmm. launch. Um, I mean, launching in itself is a really good way to list build, but your email list is one of the biggest determinants of how successful you're going to be. And, you know, it has been for ages, but a lot of people don't put enough effort into that. I mean, I hit a million dollars when I only had 2,000 followers on Instagram, which, you know, I see people with 20, 30,000 on Instagram and they're like making 50 grand a year. Those numbers do not matter. Vanity metrics don't convert into sales. So the email list does. So you've got to focus on serving people really well, offering massive value, showing up for people, marketing yourself, owning your expertise, and then that will start translating into sales. And then I would say, look at it all like a curious experiment. So 
often when you first start, it's not going to go as well as what you think. You know, I'll, I'll have people say, oh, well, I only had two people buy in my first round. Fabulous. That's two people that think you're under a winner. Service the shit out of those two people and then go again. It'll give you those testimonials. I mean, I ran a webinar when I first started. Nobody showed up. Nobody. <laughs> One person. But it didn't matter because I was like, okay, good. Practice run. I'm not great at this yet anyway. I would have actually shat my pants if 200 people had shown up and I'm like, I don't know which, I don't know how to share my screen. <laughs> you know? So it's okay to start small. It's actually good. Um, and I would also not waste too much money at the beginning. So start organically. I see heaps of people go, you know what? I'm just going to throw bucket loads of money into Facebook advertising, um, which I think is good once you start building. But at the beginning, like get it right first. And again, I keep bringing it back to the story at the beginning. Um, What I'm just hearing throughout this entire interview is your resilience to keep going and to test and experiment. It's been there since the day dot. Uh, This determination that you have to know and see possibility. And it's almost like I, I, I sense like you're a little terrier with a whole heap of swagger. And one way or another, you're going to get there and you're working it out. And, I just find uh, it interesting to see what's possible. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And what I really love is just the energy and the realness that you bring to everything. So anyone hey, listening. Drop the facade. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the fact that you fully admit that it used to be there and that ability yeah. to drop it, like there's no better compliment, is there, than someone going, oh, my God, you're exactly like you are on, I don't yes. know, Instagram stories. Like, yep, yes. that's me. Yes. <laughs> Take the leave it. Yes. I think franchising had to give me that lesson. Like I was too much of a people pleaser and I believe franchising was put into my life to overcome that hurdle. <laughs> So you've got big plans to go to the U.S. next year. Fingers crossed that happens, April. People can get your book in the U.S. as well. So we've gone global. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how can people find out more about you, Tina, and where can they get your book? Yeah, so milliondollarmicrobusiness.com has all of the digital stuff. So there's workbooks and everything that goes with it, but you can get it from anywhere. Good books are sold. Um, and Instagram is the easiest place to find me. And if I've done my job well, I should actually be really easy to find. <laughs> she is pretty easy to find. Now, my fi- I've got to cut two final questions. First one, who who continues to inspire you to keep playing bigger? Ooh, you know, the first person that popped into my head, like my favorite friend and business guy is Dale Beaumont and Clint Salter. Mm-hmm. I love them. They're, Clint's based out of the US. He's an Australian and so is, so is Dale. Susie Daphnis has been a longtime mentor of mine um, and just does and the most incredible things and builds the most incredible businesses and sells them all very quietly. <laughs> but amazing. And, and really, I'm inspired every day, like every day, not so much the, um, the superstars of our industry, but when I see women who are so nervous about embracing who they are and like you say, unleashing their brilliance and step into it and then get a win. And then you see them sit taller and just go after more and their confidence grow and their boldness grow. I find that very inspiring. And I'm like, I'll get up for that every day. It, it gets you out of bed to do the work that you're yeah. so good at. And my final question, you know, this this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. I absolutely believe 
that every single person has more possibility and capability in them than they are currently bringing to their work and to the planet. And, you know, that's what gets me out of bed when I see those light bulb moments um, and people doing stuff and they look back and they go, shit, how did I get here? So my my question to you, uh, Tina, is is what, what does Unleashing Brilliance mean to you? Um, I think letting go of the fear and just doing those things that you niggle inside that you think, oh, that'd be fun. But then straight away, you've got another voice going, ah, no, too too big, too much. And then you feel that little call inside to do it. And I think that's what it is to me is when I listen to that and go, all right, let's give it a go, you crazy ass chick. (laughs) (laughs) And do that, that to me, like you're so energized when you do actually embrace giving that a go and, and really like following that fire that's in your belly, there's no greater feeling as a human, whether you succeed or fail. I think just the effort of trying and backing yourself and going, you know what, let's, let's give this a go. Like that's such an energized feeling. It's why I love to launch. It's like the unknown possibilities and going, will we win? Will we tank? Nobody knows. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, I love it. And you are launching your next Empire Builders, I think, in a couple of weeks, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how long till this is coming out. It might be be over. The next Um, one. But oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So good timing. Yes. So we launch on the sixth of September, close on the fourteenth, um, yeah. and every year we launch twice a year in April and September. And hopefully next year I will be running the launch live from a house in Palm Springs. Hopefully, how <laughs> awesome would that be, um, Tina? I just want to thank you for your incredible amount of generosity. You are a natural supporter of others. Um, right, your generosity. Your generosity in terms of the content of this book and everything that you're sharing in there and your gift to all those incredible people that have picked up the book to enable them to build their own million-dollar micro-business, but also the fact that you are every single day generous with your tips, your ideas, your insight, your humor, sharing your life online. And um, I just want to thank you for being such an inspiring role model for so many. And, um, yeah, anyone out there that is wanting to turn their expertise into a digital online course, make sure you check out the incredible Tina Tower. Make sure you grab a copy of her book. And in your words, Tina, just go for it because uh, we need your expertise. It's been an absolute pleasure, Tina. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Janine. You're lovely. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.